Welcome to episode 198 of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, just two episodes away from number 200. And coming up on today's show, you'll be hearing my conversation with a woman of many talents, Miss Daphne Reed, and you might know her as Aunt Vivian from the hit 90s sitcom The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But we're not just talking about Fresh Prince, we're also talking about her growing up in New York, her love of photography, how she got into acting, her cookbook, Grace, Soul, and Motherwit, and so much more. It was really great getting to hear her story, you know, growing up, watching Fresh Prince, being a huge fan of that show, getting to talk with her, and just learn more about her. It was a really, really fun conversation, so hopefully you guys enjoy it. So here is my chat with Miss Daphne Reed. Derek, Derek, Derek. Diamond, Diamond, Diamond. Diamond. Experience! Sitting here with my very special guest this week, Miss Daphne Reed. How are you doing tonight? I am very well. Good, great, great. Uh, as I was saying uh, before we started, uh, I do want to say first of all, thank you very much for taking the time to to do this interview. As somebody who you know grew up watching uh, Fresh Prince, it's it's really cool to to chat with you. Ah, good. I hope you get to know me better. Absolutely. So I wanted to start off by asking a little bit about yourself. Uh, where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in midtown Manhattan, New York City, in the Amsterdam houses, which what they call the projects now. But it was a great little community of low-income housing, and it was a great cultural environment in New York to grow up with. Um, I actually, I'm from Florida, and I've never been to, to New York. So uh, what was it How like? How did you manage that? <laughs> Still working on it. I, I made my I made my first trip to L.A. Uh, earlier this year, but New York is definitely up at the top of the list. I had a good friend of mine who went to New York the same time I went to L.A., so we had to compare notes, you know, whenever we got back. So heard a lot of great things. I've had some family members go there, and they they fell in love with the place. So. Uh, what what was it like, you know, growing up around, you know, that culture? Because New York, it seems like, has everything. Well, when I grew up there in the uh, 40s and 50s and 60s, it was quite the cultural mecca for entertainment, for music, but also for museums and for science. And it was quite a lovely international place. And I'm used to, because of how I grew up, a very uh, multicultural environment. I went to uh, Catholic churches and I went to Protestant churches and I went to synagogues and I went to Baha'i temples. It, you get to share the cultures of the world in one little microcosm. It's wonderful. It's like that old saying, variety is the spice of life, and it sounds like you had a lot of that growing up. It was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. I spiced, I'm well spiced. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> I had an incredible uh, journey in New York growing up, and um, I don't know that anybody growing up anywhere else could have been as exposed to the world as I was. What were some of your specific interests growing up? Because I, I was reading your bio, and it says here that you're actually uh, a lifelong fan of photography. Yes, my daddy um, took lots of pictures (laughs) 
I've got me at various stages of my life from day one. <laughs> and he went to photo school when he got out of college. And uh, I don't know that he ever tried to make a living doing it, but he always had a camera or two. And when I was growing up, he gave his children cameras as well. So we were always taking pictures. It's one of those things, because I took some photo classes, and yeah, I'm primarily a, a video person, but there, there's just something calming about going out, whether it be to the city, the beach, or even, you know, like a, a quiet countryside and just taking photos. There's just something very calming about it. What I like about it is the ability to share what you see with other people, because People look at things very differently. My husband is also a photographer, but he looks at the big picture. He will take a picture of the entire house, and I will focus on the details of the house. So it's really interesting how people show you what they see through their photography. can be different perspectives of the same thing. Exactly. Very much so. And I've always had a camera with me. I've never been without a camera in my life. I might not carry it every day, but there's always a camera in my possession throughout my life. It's, it's kind of one of those situations where you'll see this, you know, cool landscape or just this cool moment. And if you don't have your camera with you, then you, you regret it. You're like, man, I wish I would have been able to take a picture of that. Uh, now we have these phones. So you won't miss those moments because we're never without our phone. That's very true. So how is it that you originally got into acting? When I was in high school, um, there was a, a workshop, an acting workshop on Saturday afternoon. It was something to do. Um, and I participated with a friend who invited me down to participate. And it bloomed into being a part of a group called the Group Theater Workshop, which is the forerunner and the, I guess, incubator for what is now the Negro Ensemble Company. And I grew up in that environment with all those talented people, but I never considered acting as a way to earn a living. It was something that you did to express yourself. And I found out that I was pretty darn good at it. I impressed my father, so he, you know, stopped grumbling about me going around <laughs> with these actor people. <laughs> and um, I just thought that that was a wonderful way to spend Saturday or some other days and work in things like Joe Papp's Shakespeare in the Park. We had a stage that we carried around in a truck. And we would do original productions of things that we made up and developed at the group theater workshop. It was a wonderful, wonderful place to um, express yourself. And it was run by a man named Robert Hook, who is still a dear friend of mine. Would you say that, because you mentioned a couple of times acting being a way to express yourself, is that what made you fall in love with it? I don't know if I ever really fell in love with it. The things that I do, I do because the opportunity ex presents itself and I enjoy the journey of learning all about it while I'm doing it. And sometimes 
you just need to express yourself. But you don't fall in love with expressing yourself. You just enjoy the process. And I think acting is something which I really enjoyed the process. But I never put it in my mind that I have to be an actress, that I have to succeed at this craft, because God gave me so many gifts of so many different talents and skills that acting is just one of them. And while I do it, I really enjoy it. But I don't know that it has taken my heart like so many wonderful people who commit themselves to the acting profession. I'm not one of those. When I was reading your bio, and that that's a great point, was that you have so many different things you do from photography, you've done acting, you've been a seamstress, you did modeling. So you, you've... You've done quite a bit of stuff in your life. That's really impressive. Thank you. It's because it's there. And if you don't express it, you lose it. That's very true. I like to honor these gifts. I really am. I'm very focused on honoring all the gifts that I've been given. When I was younger, I would hide certain things under a basket. You know, like kids that let the sun shine into your little basket. I was kind of, well, I don't want to show that part of me. And when I started expressing myself through acting, I also figured that I needed to express all the other things that I uh, was beneficially in having. I was acting kind of in high school, but I didn't do it professionally. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to college, um, I got discovered as a model. And it was from an article that I did for Seventeen magazine that my junior high school teacher kind of put me up for. And uh, they decided to feature me in a January issue of Seventeen magazine in 1967 when I first went away to college um, as what they call a real girl. January was the real girl issue, so they featured girls who had achieved something. And I had gotten a merit scholarship to Northwestern University, so they featured me that way. And that picture was seen by Eileen Ford, who was one of the leading uh, model agencies in New York. And she asked me to come see her and asked if I would register with her to do modeling. And while I was in school, I was flying back and forth between Chicago and New York doing modeling. I thought it was a lark. (laughs) (laughs) So even, even, you know, at that, really that early of an age, you were traveling from, you know, New York, Chicago. It seemed like you were seeing all these really cool places. Yeah, I I grew up with an auntie who traveled the world. She was in the Navy. And then after she got out of the Navy, she traveled the world. And she would come back with stories and presents and pictures of all these exotic places she has been. And I was dedicated to making sure that I saw the world as well. And that's a that's a very good uh, it's a very good thing to have. Now, as yeah. far as your acting career goes, uh, can you talk about your your time as uh, Aunt Vivian on Fresh Prince? Because that was one of it seemed like everybody was watching that show back in the '90s. So, uh, how was your time being a part of that? I had been on television for about fifteen or twenty years before the audition for Fresh Prince came around. As a matter of fact, I had turned down the audition 
at the beginning of the show because I was uh, I had just done two back to back to back series and I was exhausted. My husband and I decided to move back to Virginia and they said, Well, we got this show we want you to audition for. It's um a family with a young rapper and I said, I'm sorry, no thank you. <laughs> and I went we went to the farm that we bought and we're lively sitting in the farm, just enjoying, relaxing for the first time in a long time. And the television shows, the show called The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I said, what a cute show. And three years later, I got a call. I said, would you come and audition for a role on The Fresh Prince? And I said, you bet I will. (laughs) (laughs) And I left the farm and flew to L.A. and auditioned against, had to be over 200 women. And um, hit it off with James Avery and did a good job, I guess, in my auditions, all four of them. It went on endlessly. <laughs> and I was absolutely thrilled to get the job. And when I got the job, it was like I had been there the whole time. They welcomed me with open arms and Will sent me, well, had in my dressing room a four dozen red roses and they treated me like they respected the work that I had been doing for the past 15 years. That's fantastic. You're showing up with with a gift like that. That's gotta be, that's gotta be really heartwarming. It was a wonderful. And what was different about it was I had never done a show before a live audience. I had done shows that, were traditionally shot in front of a live audience like WKRP in Cincinnati. But the two episodes that I did were shot film style because they were mostly outdoors or in a different set than the WKRP set. So when I got to Fresh Prince, the first episode, I said, you know, guys, I'm a little nervous about (laughs) this. And they said, oh, you'll be fine. And James just wrapped his arms around me, and he said, this is going to go great. And it did. Do you have any funny on-set stories that you could share? Because that, that show looks so fun to make. There's got to be some countless fun moments that you guys had. There were countless. There were some shows that we couldn't get past the scene because we couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> and oh, I remember those shows so well and standing in the kitchen and Carlton was trying to say something and he kept botching the words up and we were just holding our breath hoping that he would say this line so we could go on and it went on for about 20 minutes we could we just kept laughing we couldn't get through the scene so we really had to stop and take a break <laughs> and try to do it again <laughs> Backtracking a bit, you said you had been acting for, you know, 15, 20 years before you uh, got the role on Fresh Prince. How was it that you originally got out to L.A. and started, you know, working in television? When I got out of college, I was married and we moved to Chicago and I was modeling in Chicago and Robert Conrad came to town to shoot a show called The Duke. And I auditioned for the show, and Bob and I hit it off very well. And he said, I'm going to put you in this show. I said, okay, let's go to work. And um, my agent called me a couple of days later. She says, we just got the script, and you're not in it. 
I said, okay. And she got a rewrite of the script, and Bob had handwritten a part into the script for me. And we started shooting The Duke, and that was my introduction to television acting. I had already done commercials in uh, Chicago, but that was my first TV show. And I did about five or six of the series that he shot there in Chicago. And then when I left about a year and a half later and moved to L.A., he had another show called A Man Called Sloan. And I, of course, got to L.A. and said, hi, Bob, how you doing? And he said, oh, I need you for this show. Come to the studio. And (laughs) he put me on the show. And I was able to get an agent as soon as I got out to L.A. and didn't stop working for many, many, many years. Living the dream. Yeah, I guess it was somebody's (laughs) dream. I was just having fun. (laughs) No. And that's 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 what you got to do. Uh, you know, someone gave me a very valuable piece of advice a long time ago. Find something or some things that you love to do, and find a way to get paid for it. That's right. Oh, so also reading your bio, uh, I mentioned you were also a seamstress, uh, creating you know, some of your own outfits and costumes. How was it that you kind of learned that you know, for one, you enjoy doing it, and two, that you were good at it? I my mother was a seamstress, and most of the women in my family, uh, aunts and grandmothers, and were seamstresses. And um, I started sewing when I was a little girl, making doll clothes, and then I started making my own clothes when I was about nine. And I was guided well by my mother, and she taught me the finesse of sewing, not just throwing something together. And I developed a real love for the craft. So I was able to make all of my clothes when I was growing up, when I went to high school, when I went to college, and I was always uniquely dressed, and I appreciated the fact that I could have something, the color and the texture and the length and the cut that I like, and not just what was available in the store. Did you ever have people come up to you in school and just basically beg you to let you know where you got your clothes? Oh, yeah. And would you make that for me? I'm going, no. I remember in junior high, we had home economics class. And um, they said, we're going to make an apron. I said, "Uh, ma'am, I'm going to make a wool suit with a plaid skirt, and it will be lined, and it will be cut on the bias. And she said, okay. (laughs) And they made the little... Uh, aprons, and I made my suit and wore it to school. <laughs> so it was that kind of experience. It sounds like you should have been teaching the class. No, no, no. And I really didn't like to share my my sewing. I only sewed for myself till about three years ago when my husband encouraged me to do a line of clothes for his um, fashion show fundraiser that he was using. And I had been wearing a style of a Chinese jacket that I made for myself for years. And people would stop me in the street and ask me, where did you get that? And I said, I made it. And they said, would you make me one? And I would say, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't intend to. (laughs) And he said, come on, make some for the fashion show. So I did. And 
they bought some from the runway. I had customers as soon as they came out. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, I'll do this custom-wise. I'm not going to do a whole line and beat my head against the wall trying to be a designer in New York. I'll do a custom line of clothes. And it has been a wonderful journey. Oh, it definitely sounds like it. Uh, speaking of journey, uh, you also uh, recently did your first, uh, well, in addition to other books that you had done, um, you actually published a cookbook called Grace Plus Soul and Motherwit. Uh, what made you want to, to create a cookbook? I have always had a cookbook of recipes that I gathered from friends and the stories about how I got those recipes. And I've had it on my computer for years. And every once in a while, Tim and I would say, oh, let's do some Christmas presents. And we'd print out a couple of them and, and send them out as Christmas presents. And a girlfriend of mine said, when are you going to get that cookbook off of your computer? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. I was doing the books on uh, the doors that I've been photographing around the world. And I knew that if I did a cookbook, it was going to take me away from my talk about the doors and the metaphor of life and, and the things that I was promoting with the other book. So finally, I said, I have an idea. Somebody asked me to do a memoir, and I don't want to do a sit-down-and-tell-my-story memoir. So I'm going to do a mini-memoir as part of the cookbook, and that will be my angle. And as soon as I discovered that I had an angle, I said, okay, now I'll finish up the cookbook. So I designed it around a memoir and told stories about how I got each of the recipes and what these recipes meant to me and my family. And I also knew that a lot of people were getting divorced or moving out of their house uh, from college to a, a new life. And they didn't know how to set up a kitchen. So I went through the very basic things of cooking and included that in the cookbook. And how to set a table and what to have in your kitchen if you want to um, make a meal without going to the store. What to have in your pantry. What to keep in your refrigerator. And it just bloomed into this wonderful conglomeration that I'm very proud of. And it, the grace and soul represent two things. The grace is what you say when you sit down to the table. We say grace and mm -hmm. thank our maker for the gifts that he's given us. And the soul is the, the hominess, the, the camaraderie, the community in which I grew up and which, in which my family's food habits are based. And then the mother wit is something you either have or don't have. <laughs> and it's, it's just common sense and how to use what you have to do something different. It sounds like a, a really good book. You know, it's not just a cookbook, but it's your, your story and other tidbits thrown in there as well. It, it sounds yeah. like, you know, a, a really nice, again, going back to, I guess the, the term of this interview is variety. Yeah. I've got a life of variety. I just had my 70th birthday party on Saturday, and 
I had a group of friends there, about 60 people from all different facets of my life, and it was such a joy to see of whom I am made, who really influenced my life and the person that I became. That's fantastic, and happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so also in your bio, it says here that you've done five books and five calendars. Um, what, right. what are some of the other books that you've done? The first book I did was Doors, and they were um, Doors from Around the World, mostly Italy, Morocco, uh, Germany, and it was a journal of the journeys to these doors and what these doors meant to me, and it, I realized that the doors represented uh, a metaphor of life to me, and I wanted to share that metaphor and encourage people to, number one, travel, but number two, to look at the details in life because that's the richness of the journey that they make. The journey is from A to B in your life, and in between A and B are all these details that give the rich fabric of your journey. And I want you to pay attention to all those little details because they are really a wonderful way to uh, have the world express themselves to you. So the first book was Doors, and the second book was a trip to Cuba, and I did a photographic journey down the western cities in Cuba and talked about the people and the hospitality while I was shooting Doors and how they influenced what was then going to be happening in Cuba because it was 2015 and Obama had just opened up the embargo and allowed people to go to Cuba. I had been going for years because I was going on journalism and on um, interpersonal communications with Cuban people. So I had always photographed Cuba, but I was particularly enthralled with the old cities outside of Havana and all down the countryside of Cuba. So the second book was called Cuba 2015 Opening Closed Doors. It's always doors. Mm -hmm. The third book was a trip I did to Belgium and did two cities, Antwerp and Bruges. And I did doors there and showed kind of the cultural differences between uh, the doors of Belgium and the doors of all the other cities that I had been to. And then the fourth book was Three Cities in France. I did Ovillard, Toulouse, and Paris. And the doors and craftsmanship of those uh, cities. And um, those were the first four books that I published. And doing these books, I learned publishing. And I self-published, I self uh, created each of these books on my computer and just sent the file to the printer and said, print this. I sell them myself. I've been distributing these books for eight years now. And I didn't start that journey until I turned 60 years old. So I also encourage people to never stop. Find a new way to express yourself and see where that will take you. Well, that's also the great thing about technology now is that you can 
self-publish. You don't have to try and sell oh, it yeah. to a publishing company. Or if you're a filmmaker, you can you know, put a video on YouTube yeah. or on Vimeo. You can post your you can create a website and put your photography work online. So it's I tell people and I have this conversation at work all the time is that now is the best time to be a creator of things. And I, I think, yeah. you know, your self-publishing is a really good example of that. Plus the fact that if you have control of your content, you can distribute it on so many more platforms. You have to not just create these videos, but find a way to monetize them, mm -hmm. to get them out there so you can get paid for them and make more. No, absolutely. I, I totally agree. Uh, so now that you've done your, your cookbook, do you have any other uh, books or any other projects you have in the works? Well, right now um, I'm planning a trip to Sicily, going from Palermo around to Catania, all through the coast, uh, the southern coast of uh, Sicily. So I'm sure there will either be another book or definitely a calendar for uh, 2019 that is going to be The Doors of Sicily. Otherwise, I, I'm doing a, um, an independent film this summer called Jacqueline and Jilly with a woman named Victoria Rowell, who uh, is the writer and creator and is going to be one of the stars of this movie. And we start shooting that next week. So I've got a couple of weeks of that to do and looking forward to acting again after sitting at the sewing machine for many months. <laughs> no, I have to definitely keep track of the movie and, and see how it goes. Excellent. Uh, uh, last question. Do you have a, a website or anywhere that people can go to buy your books? Yes. And the only place they can buy my books is on my website. And it's a real easy one to remember. It's DaphneMaxwellReed.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat on the show. It was an honor. Thank you so much for your interest, and have yourself a great summer. My thanks again to Daphne Reed for taking the time to come on the show and share her story. It was great getting to hear it. If you want to find out more, and if you want to check out some of her books, just go to DaphneMaxwellReed.com. Coming up on next week's show, it's episode 199, so we'll be one away from episode 200, which, as I've said over the last several weeks, will be the roast of yours truly, Mr. Derek Diamond. So what I decided to do for 199, and this is something that I've been wanting to do for a pretty good while, but I've wanted to wait for the right opportunity to do it, and I think this is perfect. Uh, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you noticed that over the last several weeks, I've been posting polls uh, asking which episode of the show was better between, say, Claudia Wells and Laura Hall, or the Haters Club Roundtable and Carlos Alizaraki. That's because I wanted you, the listeners, to vote on the top 10 episodes of the Derek Diamond Experience. So that list has been compiled, and you will get to find out what the top 10 episodes are next week. So I might have a co-host on with me to introduce this list. I might be going solo, but you will be hearing a few short-minute clips from each episode. So uh, definitely tune in next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then, of course, next week we're also recording the roast, and then we're going to air it uh, a week later for episode 200. So two really good episodes to look forward to. I'm really excited about it. You know, it, hitting 200 episodes of anything or doing anything just in general 200 times 
is is pretty crazy to think about, and I have you, the listeners, to thank uh, for making all of that possible. So definitely look forward to that. But until then, if you want to check out past episodes of the show, go to Apple Podcast and Spotify. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And if you want to leave a review, I'd very much appreciate it because it helps me become more visible to the podcasting public. And if you want to follow the show on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. So that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you once again for listening. Thanks again to Daphne Reed for that really fun conversation. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next week for the top 10 episodes of the Derek Diamond Experience.